I want you to look at this text from Colossians chapter uh, 1, and I don't believe that I'm going to stay in Colossians next Sunday for Easter, uh, but that is where we have been, and that's uh, the passage I want to look at this morning. Paul writes, Now I rejoice that in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. For all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is." How do you know that Christianity is real? And how do you know that it's true? There's a number of ways, but here's just one of them. As you think about the life of the Apostle Paul and and his letter to the Colossians, and he talks here about suffering. Paul rejoiced in suffering for Christ. And for the gospel. Paul had been one who had persecuted believers. For those who had come to faith, he was willing to whip them. He was willing to throw them in prison. He was willing to do anything to stomp them out and get rid of that breed of people called Christians. And then all of a sudden on the road to Damascus, he was converted. And his life was transformed. And all of a sudden, when Christ came into his life, he suddenly went from being the one who inflicted suffering on others to being the one who was willing to suffer in the hands of others for the sake of Christ. Now I want to ask you, who do you know who has been a bully all of their life? who suddenly just changed and became willing to be bullied by anyone. Quit the bullying themselves and all of a sudden were willing to be bullied for some reason, some purpose. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Something so gripped and radicalized his life that he was willing to go from persecuting Christians to being willing to be persecuted and be willing to suffer for Christ. 
Listen to this passage where Paul talks about his life and the suffering that he went through for Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. He compares himself to other um, servants, and he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The same number of lashes that Jesus received in, in uh Uh, before the cross. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I had been constantly on the move. I had been in danger of rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Why? Why would somebody who had been on top of the world and persecuting the church all of a sudden become a man who's willing to deal with all that? I don't know. Except for Jesus. Jesus is real. All he had to do to avoid everything up there on that screen that I just had read, all he had to do was turn his back on Christ. All he had to go do is go back and be a religious Jew. And he could have avoided all of that. Or here's this. Maybe he could have just softened and compromised on the gospel just a little bit. And none of the Jews would have bothered him. They wouldn't have, you know... They wouldn't have put him in prison. They wouldn't have flogged him 39 times with metal bars sticking out of leather strips. They wouldn't have done that. All he had to do was compromise a little bit and say that the Jews didn't need Christ, that they could be saved by their good works, by their circumcision and by all of that. But Paul said, no, Jews... And Gentiles both need Christ. And without Christ, there is no hope. And he was willing to suffer for that truth. And he was willing to die for that truth. And indeed, the Apostle Paul did die as a martyr for the truth. Now I want you to notice that Paul says some things about the reason that he suffered. Now, On first glance, as you look at this, it looks as though he's suffering for the church. But if you look a little deeper, what he's saying is that he suffers for Christ. Not primarily for the church. You can't always defend the church. The church won't always be right. You can't always defend pastors. You can't always defend religious leaders. You can't always defend Christians, the Christians around you. 
They are all sometimes stupid or sinful or both. (laughs) But Christ is perfect. Neither stupid nor sinful, but righteous and holy and perfect. And when the church fails, and when the pastor fails, and when your good Christian friend fails you, you can suffer through it. Because Christ never fails. You need to hang your faith on Jesus and on Jesus alone and not on the church and not on the pastor and not on your Christian friends and not on all that other stuff. Hang your faith on Jesus as your solid rock. He is your hope in suffering. So the first thing I've said today is that Christ is our hope in suffering. Paul continues on, and he says to us that Christ, he connects his suffering with stewardship. And this is where we get to talking about the church. And Paul says that Christ is our hope in stewardship. He says he's willing to suffer for Christ for the sake of the church, for the sake of preaching the whole, the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's willing to suffer for the the sake of that. Now that's what stewardship is. It is taking care of, it is managing something well for the Lord. And so Paul says, I'm willing to suffer so that I can be a good steward of the church and make sure the church is taken care of and so I can be a good steward and make sure the word of God is proclaimed. Those two things I'm willing to suffer for. Now the psalmist says to us that everything is the Lord's, the earth and everything that is in it. We are stewards of whatever he has given to us. We are stewards of our relationships. And every relationship that you and I have, we are steward of that. We are to manage that well for the glory of God. We are stewards of our possessions. We are stewards of our souls, of our mind and intellect and emotions. We are stewards of of our bodies. We're stewards of our gifts and our talents and our graces. We're stewards of our money and our resources, our time. (laughs) All the time that we have, we are stewards of that. We are stewards of the earth. We're stewards of McKenzie County. And we are stewards of the environment in which we live. It all belongs to God, and you and I are to be stewards of it. We are to manage it well for God's glory. Not for our own, but for the glory of God. So how can you and I be a good steward of the things that are at your fingertips and my fingertips for God's glory? Paul says that Christ is our hope in stewardship. Now, Paul was particularly interested and aware of the fact that he could not be a good steward of everything. He couldn't focus on everything in his life. 
And Paul focused on two areas of his life that he knew that God had specifically called him to, to be a good steward and manager of. Those two things for the Apostle Paul were the church and the preaching of the word. Those were the two things for Paul. He, he was willing to suffer for them. He was willing to do whatever, that the church would be healthy and the preaching of the word would be full. And it would cover the whole word. And it would be true. Those two things. Now, you probably have a different list from God. There are probably different things that God wants you to be to focus your life on on being a great steward of. You need to pray. You need to go to God and you need to say, God, what is it in my life of all of these things that I have that you have put at my fingertips? What is it that you specifically want me to be a good steward of? Now, I also want to say to you that for some of you, that will change in different seasons of your life. What is it in this season of your life that you need to make, that you say, I want to be a great steward of this in my life. I want to manage this well, not for me, but for God. For some of you, it is your grandchildren. And it may be that your grandchildren are the number one thing that God wants you to be a good steward of in your life. For some of you, you may be just not spending your time very well. And you may need, I heard this week several times, um, that, that social media, that you have a choice to use social media for profit or for noise. And most of us use social media for noise. It's just, it adds noise into everybody's life. But it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't do anything good. So maybe if you're a social media, media nut, you need to say, God, how can I use social media for your glory and honor and not just to add noise to the world? Just an example wasn't in my notes. <laughs> so I don't know if that came from God or not. But <laughs> Anyway, um, God wants you to be focused. So what are the things in your life? What are the things in your life that you need to say, these one or two things God wants me to be a good steward of and do it for the glory of God? I know this for me, um, and I, I'm wrestling through a lot of things in my life right now, trying to figure out what it is God wants me to do and be and all of that. And um, I know this. One thing he wants me to do is preach the whole counsel of the Word of God with boldness and courage um, and clarity and grace. And I, I just pray that God will enable me to do that and to do that better, to be a greater um, steward of that, of that gift. The third thing that Paul says, and I got an hour and 12 minutes according to that clock. So. <laughs> the third thing that, that Paul says in this passage is that Christ is our hope in sanctification. 
Sanctification is a big, scary religious word. Does it? I mean, it, it adds to confusion sometimes when we just hear the word. <laughs> so let me simplify it. Let me use the language of the Apostle Paul here uh, that he uses. It means to become mature in Christ. To become mature in Christ. The, the way that you and I grow up and become mature spiritually is to really focus our lives on Jesus. You can focus your life on other good things in the religious world, but you will never become spiritually mature as quick by doing that. If you will focus your life on Jesus and on Jesus primarily, you will end up growing by leaps and bounds in your spiritual walk. And I, I, I am telling you, there's all kinds of hooks that you can hang your coat on spiritually, religiously, that you can focus on. But if you really want to grow, you have to back up and you have to choose Christ. And you have to choose him above everything else in your life if you're going to grow. You, you can focus on the church and you can focus on the Holy Spirit and you can focus on this and focus on that and something else, but you will never grow and become a well-rounded, mature Christian until the focus of your life is on the Lord Jesus Christ and following him. What did Jesus say when he went to the fishermen out by the sea? Come, follow me. Don't go chasing after other things. Not even good things. Follow Jesus. He has to be the rock and the foundation and the anchor of our lives. And if you follow anything else, you will end up not growing as you could grow. So don't make it your aim. <laughs> to become religiously mature and be able to talk about all the religious jargon and to pray with all your I's dotted and your T's crossed and all of that. Make it your aim to become mature in Christ. Don't make it your aim to know all the, the ins and the outs of Wesleyan doctrine and polity and how we do things. Don't make it your aim to know all the nuances of how Wesleyans believe that you ought to have your lifestyle and all of that. Make it your aim to follow Jesus and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you will grow and you will become mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we become mature? Paul says in this passage a number of things. He says that we need to surround ourselves with teaching and preaching, uh, proclaiming there. He said, proclaim, surround yourself with preaching that exalts and lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he talks about admonishing. Well, what is that? Admonishing is surrounding yourself with people who are willing to hold you accountable. Surrounding yourself with people who love you enough to speak the truth to you in love, who will admonish you and comfort you, confront you, correct you, um, question you about your walk with Christ. Too often for us as American Christians, we want to go to church, just hear a sermon. We might do some other things 
and we and we'll read our Bibles and pray and all of that, but we don't believe in the fellowship of believers enough to allow people to speak into our lives and really correct us. And we we are so sensitive that we get our feelings hurt the first time somebody says anything to us to correct us. And we have to get past that. I'll tell you what, if you are so sensitive that somebody can't speak into your life, then you are not focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get over it. (laughs) Focus on Jesus and allow people and allow the church to speak into your life. Allow other Christians to speak into your life so they can love you and speak the truth to you. And then Paul says you have to expose yourself to teaching. And he talks about teaching with wisdom. Wisdom that comes from above, not not earthly, double-minded wisdom, but wisdom that comes from above. Now, I want you to notice there that he talks specifically about wisdom, teaching everyone with all wisdom. That is because we don't just teach knowledge. If we want to become mature, Paul is not, God is not interested in big-headed Christians who are useless. Knowledge does not build maturity. You all know and have met many, many people who are very, very smart. And they were incredibly immature. You can be, you can know it all and still be very immature. That's why Paul says teaching everyone with wisdom. Because wisdom is more practical application. It's more walking. It's more doing the faith rather than just building head knowledge where you can play Bible trivia and win at the game. But you can win at Bible trivia and lose at life. God wants us to be taught with wisdom from above. The goal is to become mature in Christ. Dr. Rod Casey, I went to a class probably about 10 years ago now, uh, spent a week in Minneapolis at Bethel Seminary, and Dr. Rod Casey um, was there spending the week talking about preaching. And somehow he got on the, the subject of maturity, and, and he said, he reminded us that to be mature means that we know how to relate to the culture around us. And he said, it is not appropriate for one to be culturally illiterate, and be considered spiritually mature. The Pharisees were culturally illiterate. They could not relate to anyone in the church world or outside. Nobody liked them. (laughs) Nobody could relate to them. But they thought themselves very spiritually mature. And they weren't. So when you become spiritually mature you will also grow in the ability to relate to the people around you and the culture in which you live. It's not just about head knowledge or just about behaviors or just about the way you dress or something like that. It it has practical applications for living in the culture around us. And Steve Colby, and I'm not saying that he's a Christian at all, but at some great wisdom in, in, in just regard to maturity being able to balance 
the needs of ourselves with the needs of other people. He says maturity is the balance between courage and consideration. If a person can express his feelings and convictions with courage, balanced with consideration for the feelings and convictions of the person they're talking to, he is mature. Particularly if the issue is very important to both parties. (laughs) You know, when you both have really strong buttons. And you can state forcefully your convictions and be equally considerate of the other person who has equally strong convictions that are opposite of yours, that's growing in maturity. Paul wants us to become spiritually mature. Now, beyond Dr. Casey and Dr. Colby, what did the Apostle Paul say? Paul says the, rec- the maturity requires two investments, and my time is shrinking away. Uh, two investments. First, we need the investment of someone else in our life. And I've kind of already talked a little bit about this, but Paul said he brought to the Colossians, he, he brought to them, he struggled for them. With all the energy that Christ worked in him, Paul contended for the Christians there. Um, and, And I just want to say to you that you need someone in your life who is in your corner spiritually. You need someone in your life who is going to push you spiritually, who's going to advance the cause of Christ in your life. You need to go and find that person and and draw them in and and say, will you help me mature and grow up? You need someone to encourage you and motivate you and prod you and, and hopefully you find that in the church. But if not, you need to go find it. You need someone in your corner. Paul was in the corner for these people. Second, you need the investment of your own hard work. I want, you know, you can say, well, I don't have the tools for that. That's not what Paul says. That's not what God says. You have the tools. God created you in His image. And if God created you in His image, that means that He wired you inside to become mature, to become like God. That's what it means to be in the image of God, that He hardwired you. Every person that has ever been born has been hardwired by God to become mature in Christ. You have God's DNA flowing in your system. When you're not living, when you're not becoming mature in Christ, you are living below the DNA that God has hardwired you for. God intended every single person on planet Earth to become mature in Christ. He hardwired you that way. There is energy, that Paul says, that is working in us (laughs) to bring us there. Energy. The energy of Christ to do a beautiful thing in you and to do a beautiful thing through you. And Paul had worked with that energy to do a beautiful thing in him, and now he was working with that energy to see God do a beautiful thing in the life of the Colossians. You need to struggle with that energy. 
You need to, first of all, just admit that God has energy working inside of you. That the kingdom of God is within you. That it wants to come out. It is there. You need to grab a hold of it. And you need to say, God, I want this DNA to start working its way out in my life. I don't want it just buried down there deep somewhere. I want it to start working its way out in my life. And friends, I want to tell you, it won't be easy. And it won't be quick. If you're a microwave person, um, that's not going to work. Becoming mature is not easy and it is not quick. But Paul promises that if you will struggle and you will work with the energy, the DNA of God within you, God will bring that work to completion. So what is Paul saying? Christ is our hope. He is our hope in suffering. So much so that we can suffer for our faith. He is our hope and stewardship as we choose those things that God wants us to focus on and manage well for him. And he is our hope and sanctification that he will make every one of us mature. God wants to present you mature in him.